0: Welcome to Imaginarium, an alternate history of art, a podcast where we delve into the most obscure parts of art history. Hello, dear listeners. I'm your host, Najah, and in this podcast we try to shed light on less studied parts of the history of art and visual culture, In today's episode, we're going to talk about haunted houses and the horror of mundanity, when the ordinary turns monstrous and absolutely terrifying. The world of the home and daily life is one of comfort and homely charms, the heart, the refuge, and where people go to resource and rest. The idea of the domestic ideal is one that has a stronghold in everyone's psyche, because it is such a universal concept to need a shelter, a protected place where you do not have to always be on your guard, something that the genre of horror is always trying to dismantle and subvert. The ordinariness and mundaneness of everyday life feels safe and comfortable, And it is when this illusion is shattered, to reveal the horror behind, that fear truly strikes in our heart. The artists and storytellers that know best how to weave the horror and the terrifying comfort of it, are the ones that manage to create an extremely compelling story, that is both so scary and yet so familiar. It is the contrast between the comfortable beginning and the horror that is discharged that creates the real terror. I just want to give some trigger warnings before we get into this episode, as we're going to talk about horror in the domestic city and haunted houses. I will be broaching, albeit very lightly, as the focus will still be on visual arts and storytelling. The topics of domestic abuse and violence, trauma and terrific acts. I do not intend for this episode to be a heavy one. But these topics will still be important to cover because they are often at the basis of the concept itself. However, if those subjects are ones that are difficult for you, please, the important thing is always to take care of oneself, and I will see you next month in the next episode. The visual look of horror has changed and evolved a lot. It truly got refined through the years. After all, so often we take the time to read or watch a horror book or movie from ages past and it barely elicits any sort of true fear in us. It does not feel scary to us as it was scary to the people of the past, and yet there is something primal about the way horror affects us all. I think it is about the knowledge. Horror is about what we do not understand and what we do not know. Horror as a genre in art and literature is something that is so incredibly vast and broad. Fear is something that is so personal and yet so universal. So I really want in this episode to focus on horror that seems domestic and intimate and mundane. I want to see how the ramifications and the comforts that define the beauty of daily life and, and how these ordinary days and normal moments can be turned into an absolutely horrifying nightmare. Home is where it all starts, isn't it? It's where our first memories are often created and the need for shelter and for space that is ours is a human right and having that space be violated and invaded can be absolutely terrifying. It is definitely a traumatic event and a lot of horror media do base their premise on this very narrative of your house no longer being your own anymore. Of the space you occupy, suddenly having a strange presence walking in it, unbeknownst to you. Anyone who has had their house broken in and burglarized knows exactly how extremely unsettling this can be. Even if no physical violence has been committed against you, The simple act of invading the space that is your home is already traumatic enough. This happened to my household when I was in my early 20s and despite the losses being only material. For some reason, uh, the thief, on top of stealing laptops, game consoles, and my jar of work tips from my minimum wage part-time job, which thank you so much for that. He also decided to take a few tomatoes and some cheese from the fridge and <laughs> while this is now an, an anecdote that I can laugh about it, it was so unnerving to deal with back then and it took a lot of time to simply feel safe again in my own home. And this is the feeling that the genre of horror does explore quite often. The Yellow Wallpaper by Charlotte Perkins Gilman There's a short story written in 1892 that explores this concept of the ordinary turning into the one thing that torments you, and has been illustrated and depicted countless of times. This story explores the idea that the safest place in your life suddenly turns on you, that your house becomes the place that is now unbearable to be in. And yet you are trapped, with no way of escaping. The story is a very short one, and efficient when it comes to communicating that feeling of dread and mounting tension. As the protagonist finds herself slowly drifting toward madness and hysteria as the ending approaches, When the story was published in the New England magazine in the issue of January 1892, it was illustrated by John Henry Hartfield, a professional artist whose three black and white illustrations that accompany this piece illustrate well the claustrophobic ambience that this story gives off and enhance the feelings of anxiety and foreboding that the story brought to the reader. The late Victorian ink illustrations have a distantly gothic and yet realistic style, and that art style will grow to be closely associated with horror and the gothic and these kinds of illustrations have graced the pages of works such as Dracula or The Picture of Dorian Gray, which were seminal works of fiction that were very much in the general zeitgeist of the second half of the 19th century, where dotted horror and the occult were extremely popular. In the yellow wallpaper, the image itself of this yellow wallpaper becomes a prominent visual motif that truly defines and communicates the horror of the story. It is a mundane element. After all, it is just a simple wallpaper, in a color that is generally associated with happiness, sunniness, and hope. Yellow is the color of daisies and sunflowers. It's a color that represents joy, And yet, this ordinary object and this color has been turned into the source in itself of the horror. It becomes a symbol of the way the main character is stuck in her room, while everyone around her is pretending she's just fine and only needs to rest and to stop being so hysterical. This story is a good example of how the domestic sphere, and most importantly, domestic abuse, is intimately linked with horror. When it comes to visual art, horror can take so many forms. Saturn devouring his son by Francisco Doria in 1819 to 1823 was a piece of art that is absolutely terrifying and might have seemed like the stuff of nightmares to the audiences of the time. This painting was an adaptation of an original myth and story that tapped into primal fears and horrors in the heart. I think now, when we look at art like the kind that Francis Doria was creating, It is easy to be desensitized to that painting and his sketches, but to the average viewer of the time, so around the late 18th and early 19th century, those images were totally horrifying and were a type of art that felt extremely new during those years. He started off as a painter to the Spanish royal family, However, toward the later part of his career, his art started getting progressively darker and moodier, a reflection of his own mood and temperament. This period of his art would climax in the Black Paintings from 1819 to 1823, where he would paint owl paintings on the walls of his house directly on the walls using art as an emotional outlet. It is also during the 19th century that the figure of the ghost rises to even more importance in the general culture. After all, what does the ghost represent in works of art and fiction? Sometimes a ghost will be about a literal manifestation of the formerly living. However... A ghost story is never truly about a ghost, not really. A ghost is a manifestation of memory, of something that is dead but has no idea it is dead, about the past that is still influencing the present, and trauma that have never healed. As Guillermo del Toro said in his 2001 movie, The Devil's Backbone, End quote. What is a ghost, a tragedy condemned to repeat itself time and time again? An instant of pain, perhaps something dead which still seems to be alive, an emotion suspended in time like a blurred photograph, like an insect trapped in amber. End quote. It is one of the reasons why I love Del Toro's stories so much, it is because he deals with past pains and traumas and the way these can manifest under the shapes of ghosts. Everything can be about ghosts, but ghosts are never really about ghosts in the end. The 19th century is also the time where the conventions of how ghosts are pictured in the art are getting set in stone, being more than spectral, terrifying entities, but looking more human and graceful, as in works of art such as Spirits by Georges Roux in 1885, which is a painting that I absolutely adore and would definitely describe as haunting and encapsulates the way ghosts start to appear in the popular media toward the end of the 19th century, as a misunderstood and tragic figure, instead of only being a character designed to bring fear to the audience. The ghost has always existed. I think in folklore and myths, however, the way that the ghost is now understood and pictured visually in the general culture is something that has been established over time. And the 19th century was a period that was rich with ghosts, with the developments of technology and arms and weapons, more and more armed conflicts ended in absolutely terrifying and ghastly bloodshed. And when so many people would never come back home and there was nobody to be buried, there was always an empty space where someone should have been. An empty space that grieving people will fill with a ghost that will haunt them for the rest of their lives. Stories of ghosts and paranormal Encounters always spike up with tragic world events where many lives are lost. Art and horror always intersect. After all, horror is one of these genres that people have very much always gravitated toward. There seems to be a cathartic feeling to seeing what is in the shadows and the face in a safe setting of sorts, what truly lies beneath the darkness, and to deal with the very horrible realities of life. Horror media can be a very good way of processing how terrifying life can be, merciless and cruel. From the anxieties around death and life, the genre of horror is, at its core, extremely human and comes to a truth of human nature that is, more often than not, deeply hidden and vulnerable. The things that terrify us often become less so once they have a visual or physical form that one can see, and is possible to face and confront. Something that is hidden and unknown to us will often be that much more scary. The topic of horror is a deeply personal and subjective one, and what one is afraid of is often a reflection of one's personal story. Not two people will be afraid of the same thing in the exact same ways. Personally, I absolutely love the concept of horror. However, I will fully admit that I'm a definite sturdy cat when it comes to watching movies with a lot of gore and jump scares so i do not watch a lot of it and because of that my appreciation often goes more toward the gothic and atmospherical horror simply because this is what i can stomach <laughs> but um there is something about gothic that is deeply insidious and pervasive where something feels wrong, and I think this is why they can be as terrifying as they are, without any outright violence or blood. It is about the claustrophobic atmosphere and the oppressive nature of certain interpersonal relationships. Of course, there is absolutely nothing wrong with the more gory and jump-scary type of horror I'm just... Absolutely, too sensitive for any of that. I do love it on a conceptual level once again, which is why I try to force myself to watch one quote unquote real horror movie once a year, but no more than that. <laughs> and always in the middle of the day with the lights open and the people in the room next to me. The writers, filmmakers, and artists, and Any creative, really, who truly knows how to manipulate and shape their art as to truly terrify people are the ones that understand that horror touches something innate and almost primal in every human being. Nonetheless, something that will terrify someone will barely evoke feelings of discomfort in someone else. The elements of gore, blood, and the use of shadows are often good visual cues of horror. A good use of negative space, contrasts, and dark colors are often an efficient visual shortcut to be able to, to showcase and communicate certain feelings. After all, the genre of horror is one that has pretty strong genre conventions, both visually and narratively. However, it is in how those conventions are broken and subverted that a lot of the fun lies, doesn't it? In horror, the home is such a key figure, especially in the form of home invasion horror or haunted houses. The home is comfortable and safe. You know where everything is, how to close that one faulty window just so. And it is, most importantly, secure and harmless. Until it is no longer the case. The haunted house is such a ubiquitous staple of the horror genre now but it can be pertinent to ask oneself why and how it came to be one of the most universal and pervasive elements of horror fiction. From the classic Shirley Jackson book, Haunting of Hill House, to all the ghost stories in fiction or even people relating their own experience of their houses being haunted, the haunted house is a main staple of horror the architectural presence of the actual house, with maybe one window where light appears, is one that is extremely strong. And the house becomes a symbol of more than just a place of residence, but of safety and the representation of privacy of the familiar, the domestic, and the status quo. The haunted house is so efficient at scaring us because the safe space becomes now dangerous and unknown. I do have to say that haunted houses and ghost stories are my favourite ones, which is why I chose this subject. It definitely has to do with my love to the Gothic in general, after all women on the covers of the 1960s Gothic romance do spend a lot of time running away from these houses where something is seemingly off. If you want more information about this, I have spoken in length about Gothic romance illustration in episode 3 of the first season of the podcast. So do not hesitate to go back to that one if you want. But there is nothing more terrifying than a space that you consider to be your home, your safe haven. Slowly, but surely, being the source of your own downfall. Haunted houses are more than just a house. After all, they are a mirror that reflects different types of malaises, of familial secrets, of abuse, sexual repression or desire just to name a few ideas that are explored in the genre of haunted house horror. The relationships between members of the family, the way abuse and the scars of the past, can create such an unstable way of living, as feelings and memories are being suppressed and ignored. Sometimes the haunting is the ghost of a tragedy past, reflected and projected onto the people coming to live in this house. After all, a home is startlingly intimate. The horror in domestic settings is often a way to unravel domestic violence and familial abuse. And the haunted house is simply a visual shortcut to this concept. The domestic is at the centre of our lives, the place where we go to sleep when we are at our most vulnerable, where we can be happy and be joyful and be miserable and be content and tend to all of these mundane tasks that compose our lives. Even if we're not a person who stays at home much, even if we're constantly on the move from place to place, the idea of home is one that is absolutely essential to the comfort and happiness of people. And so, the haunted house is a good starting point for stories about people, about the ways all of us are messed up and the ways our closest relationships, the ones we live with, are also the ones susceptible to go slightly amiss and awry. The house is a symbol, but it is also the visual representation of a lot of things gone wrong. Sometimes, as Shirley Jackson puts it in Herbert, Haunting of Hill House, Hill House, not staying, stood by itself against its hills, holding darkness within. It had stood so far eighty years, and might stand for eighty more. Within, walls continued upright. Brits met neatly, Floors were firm and doors were sensibly shut. Silence lay steadily against the wood and stone of Hill House and whatever walked there, walked alone. And so there is this concept that permeates horror media, that houses can be alive, that they can be in themselves, evil or benevolent. That they have a personality, that they can be rotten to the core, or that something so evil and horrific happened in that space once, however long ago. That the place retains and draws from the memory of that horrific act. I mean, this is the core concept of the Haunting of Hill House by Shirley Jackson, which is one of the quintessential examples of the haunted house. I would even argue that this particular haunted house is a template for the way most haunted houses are written or pictured in media nowadays, consciously or not. It just has permeated our understanding and visualizing of haunted houses, that is, it is simply the blueprint. The house being on top of a hill, for example becomes a visual shortcut to the haunted house. It isolates it from the rest of the houses and the neighborhood, making it look absolutely dreadful. Lewis Barrett Lerman is an artist whose spooky house illustrations are an absolute visual delight. I love when an artist obviously loves a specific subject and will repeat this specific subject again and again, until the point of having absolutely mastered that topic. His illustrations were absolutely marvellous, in the ways they condense and distill all of the ways we think about haunted houses, visually, often looking foreboding and eerie and standing on a hill or a cliff, overlooking the viewer. The strong position manages to render the subject of the piece even spootier. His art is standing at the intersection between architecture and horror. I just think he really liked painting scary houses, <laughs> and I love this for him. He even had set up an online presence in 1999 called The Haunted Studio for people to be able to commission spooky haunted houses from him, and this seems to have lasted until 2014 that I can seem to chart. And most of his illustrations fall within the same artistic style, being a visual reminder of the understood codes of the haunted house. It is often depicted in the full moon, on a dark, cloudy night, and the way the house seems to sprout right out of the earth, as if the house was an organic matter and not a man-made construction, but truly something that had its own free will and agency, Gothic romances are a very good example of the way that the domestic is intricately linked to horror. After all, in so many of the covers, the heroine is running away from a distant and foreboding house. She is in her nightgown. Her hair is loose and in the wind while she is running away, holding one single candlelight. The house or the manor is in the background, a terrifying presence and the symbol of that new fractured reality. The Castle of Otranto, written by Horace Walpole in 1764, arguably the starting point of Gothic romances, is also a story with the castle as its centre, where the building in itself becomes a moving character of the story. And so the haunted house, or just the very oppressive dotted house, is often very prevalent in what could be called women's fiction and horror, as women's historical and expected place in the house as homemakers and, you know, how they had so little financial freedom. And so this type of horror can often be an exploration of women's oppression and stories as they were stuck at home. Almost as if being imprisoned in an infinite confinement. It can be about the complicated feelings of new motherhood, of no longer feeling like your own person, nor having the freedom to do the things you want to do when you want to do them or the feelings of isolation and solitude that can creep up during one's life. The haunted house trope is one that is rife with potential when it comes to unraveling the deepest patterns of the human psyche. Stories of haunted houses are also full of the physicality of houses, of the architectural horror that they bring to the table. One of the best features of a haunted house is the way the architectural layout of it, often, if not always, becomes a central part of the horror. The house becomes a labyrinthine maze in which survival is not promised at the end. There is only to think about all of the scary manors and houses whose stair treat where secret passages lead to unseen dangers, with doors that lead to absolutely nowhere and closets with actual skeletons. Those architectural and physical elements become a driving force in themselves the house becomes a main character of the story, with its own idiosyncrasies and particularities. Sometimes houses are so peculiar in their nature that they truly feel as if they have their own identity. Because the difference between a house and a home is the love that it contains. And once that love is gone, it is only a building and becomes the source in itself of anguish and misery. It is no longer a home, but turns into a vessel of horror and suffering. Haunted houses exist in all forms, and the small residential family house, the decrepit manor over the cliff or the country house in disrepair that symbolizes the fallen aristocracy and the tarnished shine of poor nobility. All of these buildings are the center of the haunted house. These stories often use the house as their main, if sometimes only, setting. So it, the building, bears the weight of history. As I simply don't think haunted houses' stories work very well in brightly constructed apartment complexes, but also more often than not they bear the weight of a family, of intermingled relationships and complicated feelings. Because one thing the genre of horror is very good at doing is the family secrets and all of the ways in which those closest to us messes up so much and so deeply, on purpose or not. And the way abuse, emotional or physical, codependency, depression and anxiety can be heightened and explored in those narratives. Each house is an archetype in itself, the shape of it will being what will lead and move the story forward. The mundane is often made horrific and terrifying. However, there are stories where the opposite is being done, where seemingly horrific and terrifying events are made to be ordinary somehow. These stories, like Adam's Family, where the presence of horror and monsters is treated as the norm. Like, of course, you sleep in a coffin and there is blood everywhere and there is a bodiless hand scattering around, and I would mention Welcome to Nightville as well, the podcast in this category. And so the use of horror tropes is made mundane, ordinary, almost banal, all to underscore more efficiently the true horrors of reality such as corporate monopolies and the cruelties of capitalism, just to name a few. These tropes are used in such a way as to show that the visuals of Gothic and horror can often simply be an ornament in these stories. Sure, there's librarians eating people. However, the true horror is in the lack of care that people can have for each other. It is in the cruel overtaking of a corporations over an entire town. It is war and the wounds it inflicts. Jessica Hayworth is the lead illustrator for Welcome to Night Vale, and I will link her page in the description down below, as she is currently a working artist at time of recording, and... While I usually talk about older art and artists, I think it is absolutely important to support current working artists, so please check her out. And so her personal work, as well as the work that she did for this very amazing podcast Welcome to Night is absolutely marvelous. And currently, she is doing a complete illustration for each new episode of Welcome to Night Vale, and her illustrations and her style go very well with the narrative of the podcast, and so it is this blend of horror and the ordinary. Hayworth uses lighter and pastel colours as well as slightly saturated hues to convey the feeling of something being just slightly off. Instead of using the more conventional visuals of horror with colours and aesthetics that are very much designed to terrify and scare the viewer, she has a more eerie and slightly unsettling vision of horror, of something being just somewhat wrong and odd, which definitely fits the whimsical horror of Welcome to Night Bell. Vale. The lines are clean and the colours are vibrant, and yet that uncanniness is clearly communicated through the images, and so the slight uneasiness and ominous feeling that you feel when the stairs street in the night where the house you live in suddenly turns against you. You can find this very feeling in the paintings of Serbian contemporary artist Dragan Bibin, whose art revels in the slightly terrifying and deeply unnerving. It is the type of art where there is truly nothing overtly scary in it. And yet, with the use of very dull and dark colours, the low contrast and the use of architecture and the the darkness that makes you try to peek beyond the door in which no light is reflected by at all. I will post some of these words on my social media, but it is incredibly efficient at being absolutely strappy and spine-chilling. And so, in these words of art by these two artists, you can see that the use of architectural details and features can enhance the feeling of claustrophobia, disquiet, and uneasiness. The concept of the mundane and the ordinary is one that permeates horror and makes it all the more efficient and powerful at scaring the audience. After all, it is at the intersection of your daily life being absolutely destroyed by the shadows that can lie beneath that the true horror endures. And this seems absolutely terrifying to me in all the ways imaginable. I think horror can be easy to bear when it feels senseless and distant. After all, a mysterious, clothed figure going around the neighborhood, murdering and stabbing people can definitely be very scary. Otherwise, all the iconic slasher movies of the 1980s and 1990s would not exist. However, horror that is closer to home where the violence and abuse is being wrought by people who are close to you, by those who are supposed to love and care for you. Isn't that infinitely more terrifying? I think it is. On this, my darling listeners, thank you for listening to this episode of Imaginarium. I hope it was fun and we'll meet again next month. For a new episode and a new deep dive into another lesser known subject of art history. If you want to support this podcast, you can do so on Patreon at patreon.com slash Naja. Otherwise, talk about it to anyone you think you'll like it. And as the YouTubers say, like and subscribe or something of the sort. <laughs> And as always, all of the relevant images will also be on all of our social platforms at Imaginarium underscore, Pod on Twitter as well as on Instagram. This podcast was written, narrated, and produced by yours truly, Naja. I want to take this opportunity to thank my patrons: Meili, Chunli Tepchinuiyan, Sam Hurst, Natalie Slaggett. Jemison Holyberg, Jad Eminem and Carter J. Tain. Thank you all for the support you give this podcast. It means the absolute world to me. On this, I wish you all a very lovely day, evening, or night. And I hope to see you again very, very soon.